Hello, welcome to the uh, latest edition of the uh, New Model Advisor podcast, Planning People. Uh, my name's Will Robbins, I'm the editor. Uh, change of scene from uh, Ollie Smith, who usually presents uh, these episodes. But I'm joined today uh, by life planning guru, George Kinder. Hello, George. Hey, Will, how are you? I'm very, I'm very well, I'm very well. Um, the reason I guess I'm doing it this uh, podcast today is uh, we, we, go, we go way back. We go way back because one of the, I guess, first, one of the first people I interviewed when I started this job uh, started at NMA 10 years ago or nearly 10 years ago. Um, and so we've, we've been uh, in contact off and on since then. Uh, and I did, you know, a little bit of life planning in the meantime and so on and so forth. So uh, it seemed uh, you're back in the UK uh, and we're going to talk about what you're doing here and it seemed like a great opportunity to uh, touch base, fantastic. as you guys say. Fantastic, Will. Fantastic, Will. I remember that well. We were living uh, with my young children in Hampstead at that time when we met. And uh, yeah. uh, it was a, a very exciting time for us to be re really much more full-time here in the UK. Now, as you know, we're, we're part-time. And uh, just as a, as a, uh, a kind of um, yardstick of, of the amount of time that's gone past, I understand that your, your, one of your young, young children is now at university. Well, she got in, is actually into, in, into I think, uh, one of America's very finest uh, high schools, prep schools. High schools, right. Okay. And just got in, and we're so, we're so thrilled, and she's yeah. going off to explore it today. Yeah, so, that's yeah. great. It just yeah. makes me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. So, so a few things to, to talk about. Um, and I know that you've got a, a new book out called The... Uh, called The Golden Civilization, which sounds uh, epic. <laughs> um, so I thought we'd get onto that, uh, but I thought we'd maybe sort of have a little bit of a chat about life planning and, and sort of your observations in the meantime. Where are we and how up to date have you been keeping with the UK, uh, what you call your UK registered life planners, so the, the people who, planners in the UK who have gone through your, own, your program uh, and your courses, which I think are sort of... Uh, five-day affairs or longer, aren't they? Yeah. So, so, yeah, what's, what's, how are you keeping up with, with what's going on in the UK? Well, I, I mean, it's wonderful what's happening in the UK, and I'll be visiting, we'll be having a, 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 a full day of, of review for the registered life planners that are here while I'm here, um, but also I'm out and visiting uh, life planners and five-day graduates um, really uh, in, in numerous places in the UK while I'm here, visiting their offices, going to the, uh, some CISI uh, speech uh, events where I'll be speaking. Um, and uh, so, so certainly touching base with the, the life planning community. Well, I think it's interesting to just sort of, uh, you know, look again at the sort of distinctions between sort of what you might call life, life planning or financial life planning and financial planning. You know, over the, the last 10 years, you know, obviously financial, we had the Institute of Financial Planning that was doing its thing. And that's now, as you say, uh, you refer to the CISI, it's merged into that. The uh, other organizations like the, uh, the, the Personal Finance Society, that has, that they've kind of taken on, you know, the promotion of financial planning. There's a lot of firms that say, maybe only in name only, that they're doing financial <laughs> planning. And I'm kind of intrigued as to where you see still see your approach as being distinct or complementary to what the CISI does, for example, and, and its sort of formal qualifications and accreditations that it, that it offers. Yeah, well, I, I, 
I think we do, I think we're both complementary and we're also different. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's really important to understand. We're complementary in that um, in life planning, we don't teach kind of the, the spreadsheet approach. We don't teach um, the laws, the rules, the regulations that uh, advisors need to uh, study to know how, what to recommend to clients. We don't teach um, uh, the products uh, at all. Sure. So, all of, so in that way we're complementary. Um, how we're different is that we think that without doing life planning, you can't do financial planning. Uh, you're really doing a disservice to the client because uh, money is meant to deliver a client, to deliver all of us, each of us, into our dream of freedom. It's meant to deliver us into what we care about most. So if you're doing a rudimentary uh, data gathering kind of questionnaire approach, you're not going to get very far. You're not really going to help the client do what um, uh, they want to be and become the person they want to be. When I, just to, you know, for the listeners, a few years ago, uh, a life planner, um, you know, gave me some sessions, you know, he took me through some sessions. And uh, we did the sort of the first few steps of, of your own process. He was a re registered life planner with you. And uh, it was quite a, you know, it was quite a long and lengthy uh, undertaking. Uh, and it was, you know, certainly the first couple of stages were, were still just long conversations uh, digging into, uh, you know, I, well, I can remember it now, but it was, you know, the, you know what, what I would, you know, those, those key questions, your, your key questions, what would you do if you had, you know, uh, five, was it five years to, to live or, or less? And, and sort of breaking down my, my barriers like that. Um, so, you know, is it still, I kind of, I, I'm interested in how, how much, uh, how important that is, that, that sort of, to, to have the, you know, the, the long initial setup, the long upfront time investment, it's, it's still a very important part of what you do. Yeah. I'm not, and uh, it seems it's a big, it is, it's, it's a time commitment that's not necessarily uh, paid for up, up front, is it? Well, I, I think that's, um, that's the frame that uh, often is used. And I think, unfortunately, in uh, the business environment, the commercial environment of financial services, um, about time. Because really, I don't think of it so much about time uh, as I think of it about trust. If you look at the surveys of how financial services is viewed as a culture, and if you look at, at surveys of financial advisors, you find that their trust level is extremely low. It's almost as low as politicians. And uh, journalists, by the way, are only a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more trusted uh, than, uh, than the financial advisors. So, um, so what we've done is we've built, you can't deliver trust in a moment. You can't do it in a short time frame. Uh, I, I mean, you, you can, but it takes extraordinary skill to be able to do it. And when you're backed primarily by product companies or by um, kind of legal arguments, you're not going to build the kind of trust that a human being wants to feel with another human being. So that takes some time, and it can take 10 minutes, or it can take an hour or two. Um, but it takes what we think of as real listening time, uh, so that the client begins to see that the advisor is really on their side and really interested in them, not interested in selling their products, not interested in 
in the profits from their organization, but interested in delivering the client into their dream of freedom and what, whatever that is, or their dream of meaning. So we take, um, really there are two meetings that we take. One is primarily listening, and then the second meeting goes into some of those questions. But usually we ask the questions in a way that gives the client kind of a way of gently easing into them. So the first one is if you had all the money that you needed for the rest of your life, what would you do? And that's a pretty easy one for people to play with. And so then after that, we move into more meaningful questions that are life and death questions, just a couple of them. And one of them is that five to 10 years, you just have five to 10 years left to live. What would you, how would you shift? What would you do? So um, we, we think that without asking those questions of meaning, uh, well, first of all, you have to build the trust before you can even ask those questions. And, uh, and, but if you have built the trust and then ask those questions of meaning, then the client is gonna reveal to you what they really care about, what they really want. And now, whatever you do with money is gonna be on target because you know who they are. You know how long it is that they're likely to remain in the job that they're in. Um, you know that they've got a secret passion for traveling in Patagonia or whatever, and, yeah. and you know you want to deliver them to that, and you're already beginning to try to figure out how the financing would work. Maybe they want to really settle there instead of here, and so all of those questions begin to come up in your mind. They're not going to share those kinds of of responses to you or how much they want to dedicate their life to their six-year-old son. They're not going to share that with you in a way that you really get. If your mind is really on the trajectory of spreadsheets and products and they see that in you, they see in your eyes, they see that you're not a person to be trusted in terms of really listening to them and honoring them. So that's the reason we give that illusion of time, that, that, uh, which it really is, because it's not like, it's not more than a, a few hours at most. And what it delivers in terms of um, going back to what companies want, uh, it delivers a client that doesn't leave you when the market crisis happens. Um, usually they leave a few months after the market crisis. They won't do that uh, because they know that you're really on their side and in delivering who they want to be. There's uh, a few things that I want to, to get into, but I just thought, just a, one thought while it's in my mind is, what we don't often talk about how that affects or what it means to advisors, the advisors giving it. Um, and I wonder, you know, uh, obviously you have, some enthusiastic, you know, uh, supporters and proponents of what you do, but I'm I wonder, you know, whether what you hear from advisors who have, you know, maybe finished your courses or have just adapted it, or, or you know, listened to what you said, or, or what what they say about how it's, I, I don't want to go too far, but how it's maybe improved their own enjoyment of what they do, or the the way they do it, or maybe longevity. In the profession, I'm, yeah, I'm interested to hear. <laughs> well, yeah, you've really nailed it, Will. I mean, it's a, we did a survey a few years ago. It's very informal, so it's not uh, not robust in the way you'd like to see a survey of thousands of people. But we did a survey of our registered life planners, and somewhere between eighty and ninety percent said that it completely transformed their life, and it made them happy. It brought joy to them. It made their relationships with their uh, clients much more long-lasting, uh, much more stable, much more uh, trustworthy. And one of the things that we saw from the very beginning was that we would have people coming into the programs 
who were burnt out, who were tired of the sales approach that they'd been uh, uh, given, giving. And, uh, and at the end of the five-day program, they were on fire about going back and continuing to be uh, advisors. So these, these are UK, people in the UK? UK? Advisors, and how, when was that? Was that well, that, I mean, certainly uh, 10 years ago or so. Years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm just interested, yeah, and I wonder if, I mean, you'd hope that, yeah, the, the, the struggle with the sales culture has been oh, something boy. that has been ongoing. It's, it is supposed that things are better because of the retail distribution review and, 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 and general things, but uh, I suspect, uh, yeah, you, you can sometimes be surprised <laughs> at what yeah. we know. Uh, and, and sometimes it's, you know, there's pressures, aren't there, that aren't necessarily to be, say, oh, I work at a bank and I'm churning these things out, but there can be other pressures to, to, to get assets under advice or to, to, to be able to you know, see a number of, certain number of clients in a year. Uh, there are always targets, I suppose. Always, and, uh, yeah. Yes, I can quite imagine it. Yeah. It offers people other things. And, and RDR did a lot. It, it was very helpful in a lot of ways in terms of uh, being really on the consumer side, on the client side of things. But the um, uh, one thing that it didn't do, it, it didn't focus on uh, life planning. Uh, the people who did RDR in the government didn't have a clue what life planning, and still don't have a clue what life planning is really about. And I think that's uh, a bridge still to be crossed. Um, I've decided not to focus on that area because it seems to be much more impactful to focus on advisors who want to change their businesses. Yeah. I mean, I mean we've, it, is, you know, it is interesting thinking about the effect of these things on advisors and not to sort of say, oh, here's an advert <laughs> for, for George Kinder, but you know, we've been doing a lot recently uh, thinking about well, well-being and mental health uh, for the professionals uh, themselves. You know, in organisations, there are some very big advice firms now, and you feel like sometimes in the profession, there are a couple of things. You know, either you've got someone who's working at a big organisation, these big nationals, firms are growing all the time, uh, and that there are, they may work, I mean, they may be the, the, the planners themselves. I mean, I know there's a lot of people in support, but for these purposes, you know, thinking of the advisors themselves. Um, and, but also those who are advisors who are also running businesses. And there's, you know, element of this, obviously a lot of stress. It can be feast or famine when you're running your own business yeah. and, uh, and professional loneliness as well. And I, I always, uh, wonder you know there's there's obviously a lot of things that you can do in a workplace to make things better but when do do wonder what the what the you know it's worth talking about what it is you do so your sense of self-worth connected to what it is you do and why you know if you go to <laughs> dinner party and say well i'm a financial advisor or a financial planner you know um what does that mean to you to to, to say that a little, a little bit like when i say well you know <laughs> i'm a journalist or a, or a trade journalist you know i want to feel good about that you know, so it's interesting that there is potentially what what that what, what you've heard you know what you hear from advisors and why they they may want to go deeper into the take financial planning to a deeper level for perhaps for those reasons. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned the big advice firms. We're always working with one or two big advice firms somewhere in the world, uh, uh, but we have yet to see them really understand the importance of. Uh, the client relationship. Um, they think the client relationship is primarily about sales and about the kind of the bottom line, which has an element of truth to it. But if they don't find a way in some way to put the client first so that it really is who the client is, 
um, they, they will never completely tackle this. They will always have a secondary objective, uh, which the client will, will see quite clearly in the advisor's relationship with them. So as long as that secondary objective is there and the client sees it, um, the client will not feel real trust in that relationship. And I think, you, you know, we see a lot of stories of, uh, you know, at some point, these big firms split, people splinter off from them. Advisors will leave, set up on their own. It's quite an entrepreneurial bunch. You know, we have a lot of uh, consolidation here at the moment. You know, everyone's being bought, a lot of firms are being bought up. A lot of firms aren't, you know, but it, it, there are a lot of acquisitive people out there, you know, with, with deep pockets. But um, our kind of house view <laughs> is that there is a sort of oscillation, you know, <laughs> uh, in, and, and that uh, there are these times of, of consolidation and then, then kind of splintering out and, 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 uh, again. And, and uh, my experience of advisors is that once they get their confidence <laughs> and a certain amount of know-how, they then can't wait to do it themselves. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's true. Yeah, <laughs> we've certainly seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one thing just to, you know, uh, build into a point is, and I think uh, an article I wrote recently interviewing one of your uh, compatriots, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, Michael Kitts, from, ex, uh, from, from, from the US advisor. He, he does several things. One of, the, one of his businesses he's involved with is XY Planners which is a sort of uh, similar, this is a network, it's a business, but it's most similar, I suppose, in tone to our own next-gen planning movement. Yeah. And uh, he was talking to me, and apologies, Michael, if I've mispronounced your name. <laughs> phone, phone, me, phone in again and put me right. Um, but the, the, what he wanted to talk to me about was, was this idea of, of uh, having to, advising millennials and young people. And he said, look, the, that he said, there's, first of all, there's nothing wrong with it, assets under management model or an upfront fee. Uh, and I imagine that historically when I've been talking about life planning, it's been a similar thing. It's, here's, it's an upfront fee for the plan. Uh, but it's, and as you say, there's, you know, there's a time investment, but then da da da. And, we're, and, and, and some of the good exponents of that will charge separately. But he, what he was saying was there's nothing wrong with that, but, but if, you want to, if you want to advise younger people, they're just not going to be able to afford uh, to, to pay for that even pay for that pay up front. You know, pay for your time. They can't pay for your time up front. So, so that what you can, the best you can do is, you know, even you can, you can give them a, a service that's a, it's a monthly retainer service. So he said something from a hundred to two hundred dollars, which it, we kind of we kind of roughed it up into about one hundred and fifty dollars, one hundred fifty pounds for the sake of my article. Actually, I think his dollar amounts would, would equal slightly lower amount. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it was a, it's a it's a it's a monthly retainer. So. You know, it would take you probably, you know, take you probably about a year. And after that, if you were on that monthly retainer for a year, you'd have probably made up that front, that front cost. So it's a totally different way of paying for your services uh, and get and, and and selling the value in the services. And it was really interesting because it was, you know, he said it puts a lot. You know, he said it put a lot of what he called positive pressure on the advisor because every, even though the uh, client is getting a lot up front for very little cost, relatively. Um, every month they <laughs> see this money come out of their account and uh, they'll obviously over time start questioning what they're getting for it. But he said that was a, a good thing. But it divided, uh, it divided reaction uh, and our readership. People saying, 
it's too, you know, it's too, you know, my time's too valuable or it's, it's too expensive to, to give advice or, you know, the regulations, blah, 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 it won't work. Uh, or mainly, actually, usually, young people just won't pay for it. They just will not. They're better off putting the money in a, in a savings account and, and paying for my advice later or something like that. Um, that was perhaps the, 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 most for, the, the argument that had most, most force, I suppose. Um, but I was really intrigued into thinking, you know, to asking what that, what you felt about that, because, you, you know, uh, about, you know, you've talked about having these long conversations and getting the investment and, and, and that's the value and you get to hold on to them forever. Um, but uh, how about that? If they're younger, they've got simpler life, have they got simpler, have they got a different set of life circumstances? Uh, just what you made of that whole approach, basically, yeah. Well, um, Michael Kitsis is a great, uh, uh, does a great service in, in America and now really all over the world. He's a really brilliant thinker about financial planning. And he's most knowledgeable, uh, obviously, about the, uh, the structures within the United States. Sure. I think much less so uh, here in the UK and, sure. and elsewhere. Um, his XY planning network is, is uh, inspirational. It's, it's growing, has grown very rapidly. And there are many registered life planners within the XY uh, planning network. In fact, I'll be speaking at their, uh, at their national conference uh, in September and doing a number of workshops there, um, bringing more life planning into that community. Um, my, uh, you know, the, the, this history of, of monthly retainer, the, the attempt at monthly retainer, the question about how you charge and how you make money, really it's not so much about millennials as it is about kind of the middle market, about people who are uh, just simply don't have enough money right. to, to fund right. an AUM approach. Yeah. And there have been many different uh, stabs at this, none of them completely satisfactory. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more challenging here in the UK, at least I've been told it is, because the regulatory stuff that you have to yeah. go through as an advisor is much more burdensome, meeting yeah. after meeting, client after client. Um, so I, I've been told point blank by some people here that you simply can't do an hourly approach to financial planning and make yeah. any money at it. On the other hand, I've heard from some people who've come through our program that you can do an hourly approach. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it, it, it all depends on, on really understanding the, the regulatory uh, matter. So the monthly retainer issue is one of, as you yeah. say, is are the clients going to feel that it's worth paying after six months <laughs> that they continue to see the money going out? Yeah. But are they really getting the service that they want? And do they want those engagements with the, uh, with the advisor? I think the real key to that, and I, I haven't talked with Michael about this, but I will, um, I think the re real key to that is, is the advisor um, doing life planning with them? If they're doing life planning, then the clients will have lots to discuss. Um, if all they're talking about are, uh, are budget and uh, financial planning and, uh, and investment issues, uh, pretty soon those conversations uh, move down toward a trickle. Uh, they aren't, they aren't as, as urgent because they're, they're most important at the beginning where we kind of straighten up our lives. Um, the way I did this when I was a, a practitioner years ago was that I would offer an hourly fee uh, approach. I primarily did AUM, but if someone couldn't afford it, I would do it on a high hourly fee. And I had clients come in who didn't have anything at all. And they would come in once a year for a meeting. And we would do a whole life plan approach in that, in that hour. Work on their budget briefly, make sure the insurance 
the risk management was, was done well. And that's something that actually I'm intending to work with a number of people in the UK and also in the US and also in Africa and, and, in, and in India as well, that I'm gonna gather a group this summer and see if we can put together something in the box, as they say, so that it's just a simple model that can be used uh, partly across cultures and then partly uh, uh, individuated to each culture. Right. So that we can do life planning in a box at an hour, an hour a year as a life planning model. Yeah. Right. Now, I have to say, I have a, uh, I have to was it, declare an interest, as they say, because uh, sort of not, haven't sort of really spoken about this uh, a lot, but I've received, I've, I am a client of, a, of an advisor. I'm receiving oh. advice oh, wow. uh, right oh. now. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, it's, it's done uh, on, uh, it's a life planning basis. Uh, it's, yeah, um, it's, uh, and it's done on monthly retainer. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, which, hey. oh. so, uh, which was sort of, uh, I didn't expect Michael actually to come up when I wanted to speak to him. I didn't know this was going to come up. Yeah. So I have sort of thought over the last couple of days, cool. Uh, cool. I should probably talk about my own experiences before I kind of promote it too hard because it's obviously, but again, I'm, I don't make any money out of it. Well, I hope I make some money out of it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm currently paying money, you know, uh, every month for it. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll name check the new guy. It's, uh, it's a company called uh, Ela, uh, who, uh, yeah, um, Joe Little and, uh, Oh. Alf, uh, Alf oh. Yeah. oh, fantastic. Do you know oh, Joe? I, well, I know, I know the firm very well, and yeah. I know Joe. Yeah. Absolutely great firm. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It was, uh, I didn't know that they were working on a retainer uh, model like that. That's I mean, that's fantastic. certainly what they've got yeah. me on. Because I could, uh, br br blankly, I couldn't afford it, didn't want to pay the upfront fee yeah. for the advice. But uh, uh, it's really interesting, and I did want to talk to you about it, because, yeah. um, you know, that, that is, is a test for them, you know, yes. to see whether I will continue <laughs> to pay the monthly fee, right. despite the fact that I've, I know I've already got a huge amount of value up front yes. from our initial meetings. You yes. know, we spent uh, two, three hours, something like that all together, myself yeah. and my wife, yes. um, and they took us through the life planning process. Um, I've got to say, you know, you know uh, sort of uh, journalistic, in, you know, impartiality goes out the window. <laughs> because, you know, but this is me, it's my, you know, it's my personal uh, life, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But I have to say, uh, it was incredibly powerful. Yeah, of course. I, yeah. I've never, I've never wow. had experienced anything like it. Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it, but it does take a while yeah. to, it does take a while to break through. Uh, and I initially, a lot like the experience a few years ago, right. just gave the gave questions I thought they I should say. Yeah. Right. And I, it sounds so silly to say that, yeah. but you just say what you think. Yeah. I don't know who you think society, whoever, maybe yeah. my wife, yeah. would yeah. want to hear, or they would want to hear, and then they would just calmly ask me the questions again yeah. in slightly different formats, yeah. Yeah. and I could tell it was. There was adherence to yes. to what I, I'd seen with you, uh, and it changed. And especially, uh, and you get to the point with myself and my wife when we'd written our, we'd written, we'd been given some homework to uh, write some of our goals and what was important to us, you know, uh, 
and uh, you know, and if, you know, and if we had a certain amount of time, what our priorities were and what our regrets would be. And we, we did it, I think, importantly in isolation yeah. uh, to each other. And then it was we kind of read it, or it was read back to us uh, by Joe and Alfie in the session. George, wow! Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> that was uh, wow. that was uh, wow. It, it was a, it you know again you know I'm blowing their trumpet, but. Um, that was, it was an experience yeah, uh, I'll never forget. It is, um, people talk about it as being one of the great conversations of a lifetime uh, coming out of it. Consumers talk about it like that. And so I'm, I'm not surprised and yet at the same time I'm, I feel, wow, <laughs> for you, I feel just fantastic. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen Jo uh, do, do work and I, I know her quality and I know her dad even better. And Her dad founded the firm and he's been over to the U.S. a number of times, I think, uh, in the last couple of years trying to pick up on some of the currents that are happening over there as well. And maybe the retainer partly comes from that, I don't know. But I'm, yeah. I'm very pleased to hear, and, and not at all surprised, this is what we do, this is what life planning does. It delivers kind of a, a, a vision of one's life that is astonishing to each of us. And it's unique to each of us. It can't be made in, in a factory-like approach. It, it is made by great listening yeah. and a great connection. I think what was interesting, uh, just before we move on, but just the, the, the thing that I want, you know, the, the thing about the, um, I guess, the, the value that I get, get from it, you know, we did, you know, I don't have much to invest. Yeah. <laughs> Might surprise yeah. you in journalism, <laughs> uh, carrying <laughs> bags of assets around. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, I do, I own a house, uh, I think. But uh, so, you know, but the, but the, 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 the critical, urgent thing was, was budgeting. Yeah. Because life had got complicated. Uh, you know, marriage, uh, parent uh, died, oh, things like this, yeah. and, and in a very short period of time from, from my 30, from turning 30, everything changed. Oh. Right. So this idea that, that you young people, quote unquote young people, and I suppose, you know, I know I'm not in my 20s anymore, <laughs> but don't have complicated lives yeah. is utterly false. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And very quickly, you know, I, the guys I was mucking around with in boats, you know, um, rowing and sport and stuff, you know, when, when we were 29, 30, are now totally different. They've got kids. It, their lives have radically changed in a few years. So I would say, first of all, this idea of, of, of young, or sort of the, old, the older young having simple lives is utterly wrong. Um, budgeting was incredibly important. Yes. So, it wasn't, so it wasn't a case of saying, well, here's your plan, and now we're gonna hit, and now here we're gonna invest you. We haven't got there yet. It's just budgeting, saving debts, Fantastic. which was, which was, you know, I, I can't put value on. Or we well, can put value on it, but <laughs> it has an additional personal value. Yeah. Um, and so, when it comes to sort of, but what's interesting is that, yeah, over time, of course, once these things have been sorted out, I'm, you know, I will at one point go, well, you know what, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> but, but I say that is the interesting challenge. But, the, but because I think this is true, and again, it is sort of trumpet blowing time. But, you know. And we're only a few months into it, but what very, very quickly in the process, it was tempting to break the little rules that we'd made for ourselves. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's it's some budgeting about, you know, right. where are we going to put money, savings versus right. discretionary. Oh, let's just dip yeah. into that. Or well, why can't yeah. we buy this? Yeah. And the only thing that stopped us 
for breaking the rules was the fact was was the strength of the life planning conversation. Wow, wow, that's so. Cool. Oh, it's true. So, yeah. so yeah. again, you know, not much uh, impartial criticism from me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the moment, but yeah. my personal experience, because yeah. and and I guess like I've, you know, I have to sort of, you know, we've had the conversations. I've got to make he's, you know, that let's make sure it's worth the money every month. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, and I think you know that could very quickly change. Yeah. If it if it didn't work, but 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 for so far that has has been you know since wherever it was sort of uh, October onwards, yeah. uh, be, be incredibly powerful. Wow, that is such a testimonial, and it and it's so and it's so true. Uh, it's true to my experience as well. One of the reasons that I got into this at the beginning when I was younger than you, when I was in my twenties, was that I was doing tax returns for people, and I could see that their passion and their enthusiasm that they'd had a few years earlier was beginning to get diminished by their jobs, by the requirements of paying for their kids and their mortgages and their cars and all of these kinds of things. It was a budgeting issue and, uh, and their passion for life was greatly diminished. And what, uh, so it, that was one of the things that drove me to design a life planning process. So I'm very excited to hear that the budgeting work uh, is absolutely yeah. working yeah. in sync with the life plan. Yeah. Fabulous, Will. Well, we'll turn now to, uh, back to you. <laughs> uh, your, your, your book uh, uh, that you have, um, The Golden Civilization. Yeah. Now, I've looked, I looked at this, and I, I saw the, the, the website. This is a kind, now, forgive me if I now mischaracterize this, but this is a sort of almost, this is wider, this is taking life planning wider. It's almost, yeah. I want to say it's political. Uh, manifesto might be the wrong word. I don't know, but uh, you know, it's it's talking about um, you know from what, what I can say, you're sort of using the. Am I right to say you're using some of the the, the techniques in life planning yeah. to sort of take it out onto a into what I would call a sort of po deliberative policy making right. between citizens. Yes. Would that be a sort of fair? Starting point. That's a fair starting point. Will it, it's uh, uh, and and in a way it is a bit of a manifesto. I mean the the uh, the the point of it in in many ways is that we're finding ourselves in many Western uh, cultures we're finding ourselves in trouble and we're questioning our democracy. We're questioning capitalism. We're certainly questioning the news. We're questioning all of these things. Mm -hmm. And but we're in a democracy. And yes, it's flawed, but we still, we're in a democracy. We can make whatever we want happen. And so that's part of this, uh, this notion is, well, what if, what if instead of having this almost codependent relationship with politicians, where we put them in office with our votes and then we suddenly are complaining and resenting and blaming and feeling they aren't doing anything, and we are lethargic and we don't know what to do, we feel lost, what if instead of that, we actually had a participative process where we visioned, much as you and your wife visioned in your process with, um, with Alfie and, and Joe, that we visioned as communities uh, what a golden civilization would look like, what the life, we, that we actually life plan civilization. And then we take that vision uh, that would be as exciting to us as a community as it was to, to you and your spouse. And we, would, and, and we would take that vision and all of the energy of that excitement and through these groups that would be created all over the world, we were to make that vision happen. 
and in short order. I mean, there's no reason. For instance, there's absolutely no reason for corruption. None. What, what does it do? What, how does it serve society? It doesn't serve it at all. Well, let's bring an end to it. I mean, that ought to be one of the rights, uh, one of the freedoms in a democracy is no, is no corruption. Um, if we were able to bring more democracy to the world, which would also be one of the things that we, we, I, I would think we would aim at, there's no reason for war. All that war does is that it, it strengthens hierarchies of power. So it actually diminishes our freedoms um, by having war even as a possibility. So, but the, the notion was, let's create a life plan, let's life plan civilization, and then let's make it happen in short order. It, it's ridiculous that in a democracy, we don't have a sense that the world is wonderful, that we trust all of the professions that we, we have around us. We live instead in cynicism. And, uh, and we think it's natural to be cynical. And we're all cynical. I'm cynical. You're cynical. We, we all are cynical. But we're cynical because the institutions aren't serving us right now. They aren't delivering the humane values that we actually believe in. What's been amazing, so I've been, uh, and I've written a book about it, and, but what I'm doing right now is inspiring conversations all over the world. And we've had probably close to 100 conversations all over the world that I've participated in maybe 30 of those conversations. And in those conversations, we start by designing a vision. We ask for people in the group to speak to what would be there in a golden civilization. We ask them to imagine that they're living in one right now, that they're out hundreds of years into the future and they're living in it. What's it like? And it's the same, Will. It's amazing. You go from culture to culture. You go from the uh, conservative side of things to the liberal side of things. You go to Africa, you go to India, you go to Australia, you go to America and the UK. The, um, the visions are the same. Uh, the visions are for kindness, they're for generosity, they're for collaboration, they're for innovation, they're for creativity, um, they're for cooperation. Uh, the visions are the same. So. Let's make it happen. What's the, so what's the, the upshot of all this? You know, why, I mean, uh, well, I suppose I'll ask first, I mean, what, what's the motivation? I mean, is this, I mean, you're, you're an American, is this, is this about Trump? Is this a, is this a reaction to, oh, yeah. to, to, I, to that, what's yeah. going on over there? I, I think, you know, in a way, you think about what Brexit has done to the UK and what Trump has done to America. And uh, I, I don't want to get into the politics of either <laughs> of them. Many people would argue that both, you know, things have been hugely positive, but they've certainly yeah. been divisive. They're very we divisive. Could, we have no doubt yes. about that in yeah. the UK. In the yeah, enormously divisive. And I think on all sides, we're questioning the democratic process. And um, so I think there's a lot of kind of darkness around a lot of the assumptions that we had about, about the press, about capitalism, about democracy. Fake news. Pardon? Fake news, <laughs> exactly. And I think, I, I mean, that's a, that's a horrible thing to be living in the midst of, yeah. that kind of, and, and the polarization where you don't dare bring up which side of the issue you're on when you're standing next to someone in the grocery line or something. Um, uh, family Christmases and family exactly. parties. It's been interesting, yeah, it's yes. become a, uh, I mean, a very, very difficult certainly problem. a middle class yes. problem. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I, I think that, uh, we, and also the, the whole question about the planet, uh, planet yeah. Earth, where yeah. the bulk of educated populations everywhere believe that there's a huge problem that we're facing. 
um, but certain politicians and, and certain uh, oil companies and nonprofit organizations and all in America mm. uh, and newspaper organizations, journalists, have taken decidedly the opposite uh, tack. So the, um, the question is, do we have a sustainable democracy? Do we have a sustainable planet? And that's a question that's actually being asked in philosophical circles right now. Do we have a sustainable species? You know, we, we've done this um, extraordinary thing in the last 250 years since Adam Smith and the Industrial Revolution took off here in England. And, um, and Adam Smith spread the, uh, the economics of it, the economic model. Adam Smith would actually laugh at and be horrified by how corporations have claimed the premise of free markets because they aren't free markets. They're dominated markets. They're dominated by the corporations themselves. Free markets he saw as being a, a bunch of shopkeepers. Um, so it was much more humane, much more about us as people. So in that 250 years, we've delivered amazing stuff. Um, you and I will probably live a lot longer than, the odds are we'll live a lot longer than our great-grandparents did. A lot longer, twice as long, maybe three times as long. It's phenomenal. And we'll, we'll be able to, we're already able, you've, you've traveled to San Francisco, we've, we've traveled the world, and, uh, and we communicate around the world in a moment. Uh, I mean, these are amazing things that we're able to do, all in a short time span, span of 250 years. Really, you can talk about the modern civilization as being the product of the Industrial Revolution, which I think, in a way, we're still in. And we're still creating the kinds of hierarchies of power that came out that were beginning to be de developed and delivered, mercantile uh, hierarchies of power that began in the 250 years ago in the Industrial Revolution. So, but what we're discovering is that there's something wrong and there's something flawed so that people are beginning to question whether the species can survive, whether the planet can survive, whether democracy can survive. That's, that's wrong, that's inappropriate. I mean, human beings have flaws, but we also have great hearts. We have great compassion, we have great empathy, we have incredible uh, access to wisdom and intelligence and knowledge. It, it, it's time for us to set, if, if our systems are slightly flawed so that we're throwing out what economists call these negative externalities of war and corruption and cynicism, it's time that we, did, did it, we looked at the basic systems and tweaked them so that they work, so that they don't deliver the negative externalities and deliver only the positive freedoms that we all believe in and we all long for. I think uh, it's very, well, yeah. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think one thing that uh, has struck me uh, is, uh, you know, following, following uh, I don't know, following the, the Brexit vote and, and, and so on, you know, there's been a kind of conversations, probably in, in, in liberal quarters in the UK, but um, about kind of the way policy is made which I think is what this is I think this is what this is about so uh, I got into a, a podcast and you may not care for the man but uh, uh, Ed Miliband who was the the f former leader the Labour leader who who lost the 25th he's expected to win and he lost the 2015 election uh, and um, he he uh, probably realised he, he may not have done the, the greatest job, but he set up a podcast a few years later called uh, Reasons to be Cheerful, uh, which he's uh, very, uh, it's probably his, his, his greatest thing he's done. He's very uh, self-deprecating, but, but obviously, um, so, and it's kind of, he does it with someone else and it doesn't 
really matter your political persuasion. But I, I've been interested in and one of the things that they've been doing is uh, they have experts in to talk about, um, you know, uh, it's all about policy. And it's often different things, like environment and uh, health, you know, how all these systems can be improved. And often they have an expert from uh, a different country or, or so on who could say, well, this, you know, this is what works and this is what I'd do. And if I was prime minister for a day or the minister of, of children or something, I, I would do this. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a popular podcast. I'd, I'd recommend, I would recommend people, you know, even if they don't like Ed Miliband, um, <laughs> I think it, 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 it's, uh, it's, it's, fun to, it's a fun listen if you're interested in this stuff. And, uh, but I think it's kind of what you're, you know, um, to cut beyond the, the, the title of it, which I think possibly for some British people might seem a bit, little, <laughs> I would say a little bit off-putting, but it, you know, there's been a lot of talk in that podcast and others about how we make decisions and are there better ways of, of making decisions. So if we were to discuss more in groups, yeah. actually do we kind of trend towards each other more than we trend apart? which is an interesting question when we seem more divided than ever. And are there perhaps sort of odd things going on that we seem very stuck again in our trenches and camps at the moment? Yes. Um, uh, and this is me. I mean, I grew up in the, you know, the 90s, it was centrist time. So, so my, my age group, is this is kind of alien to us. So, you know, maybe that's why I like <laughs> these, these sort of centre-left people like, like Ed, well, he's not that centre, but, you know, left of centre people like Ed Miliband. But, um, but you know, that, 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 that maybe if you, if, you do, if you do experiment with these things yeah. and these processes, that, that they come out with slightly different, you get more agreement than you get disagreement, you get different results. Uh, and if you were to throw things out to a vote or referendum, you'd maybe, I mean, you even got the same result, but you could be voting on different things, maybe, and it would, it would kind of uh, change the discussion in, in a positive way. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if, and I think, you know, Brexit's an obvious one that we could get, maybe could get the same result, but it would just have, it would have been a slightly different question. We could be in a different place to where we are now. Yeah, for sure. And so, for so sure. but, uh, but uh, so I'm kind of, so I suppose, Having said that, <laughs> I'm kind of interested in what you kind of aims are, because yes, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> apart from uh, you know what a fear might be world domination, you know what what is it was the aim? Because yeah. it obviously something you're very passionate about, yeah. but yeah. Um, you know what what, do you, what what are you trying to do? You know, is yeah. it to, to is it simply about getting more people involved in in, in running you know community groups and and, and yeah. conversations like this? Yeah. Like, what's the yeah. yeah. Well, I, I uh, thank you for asking, and, and um, I, I hope that my book will be a resource. But I do not intend to be a figure with uh, uh, of leadership establishing opinions and all of that. Right. I'm I'm excited about, uh, about being a human being amongst other human beings, and I love the notion of participative democracy. And so I, I love what you're talking about about how we make decisions as groups. Um, so one of my notions is, is that if instead of feeling lethargic and kind of codependent on our politicians, we got together and had a spirit of joy and vitality and going, all right, we're going to go after this as a, as a small group. We're going to make this happen. Or we're going to connect with that group in San Francisco or the group in Manchester or, and, and uh, make something happen in this area. I'm uh, excited about inspiring that kind of interconnectedness and that kind of work in a group. But I think there's one other thing that I want to say when you ask about what's, what's, um, what I'm after and what's gone wrong in some way. I think it is, the, they are just small tweaks. We've done astonishing things in 250 years. 
but at the same time, we have these terrible negative externalities that are threatening democracy and the species and, and the planet and, and civilization in many ways. I, I think that if, if you think about what your experience was in, in life planning and think about what people experience when they go, th go through life planning, there are five things that uh, come up more than anything in a life planning process. One of them is family and relationship. Mm. One of them is, I call it spirit and values, but it's really about wisdom inside of ourselves. It could be kindness, generosity, integrity, that kind of thing. A uh, third one is creativity, and, uh, uh, which would be innovation in a corporate realm. Mm. Fourth one is community, which we're just talking about now. And the fifth one has to do with earth. And we, we, well, it could be just where we live. We live in the city and we want to be more in the country or vice versa. Yeah. So when you think about those are the five things that come out of a life planning process, shouldn't all of our institutions be making us feel more excited and more alive in each of those areas? Mm. And, and yet, just consider this one question. In all of the institutions we have, whether they're nonprofit, whether they are corporate or governmental institutions, how many of them have at the top of that hierarchy of power that you're imagining is a figure of wisdom where you would say that person is wise. And moreover, they have such wisdom that that wisdom has filtered down through the organization so that everyone in that organization you feel has that quality of authenticity, of integrity, of kindness, of generosity of spirit. How many institutions in the UK or in the US do you think have that? And I, I think it stumps us. Yeah. And yet that's what would be humane. And in a golden civilization, that's what would deliver trust and a lack of cynicism and a feeling that, wow, we're doing the right stuff. This is fantastic what we're doing yeah. as a species. And that's what's really missing. And we need that. It's so interesting. It's uh, almost uh, Aristotelian for you philosophy buffs out yeah. there. Uh, I, did, I did my philosophy uh, bachelor's. But, you know, it's kind of like, uh, oh, someone's going to, someone, please, please feel free to email me and correct me. Uh, it's in fact platonic, aren't it? Uh, but, uh, but, but, but it's interesting. I mean, I guess the problem with that is that, you know, you trust people and they always, they kind of let you down. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I think certainly in this country, there's been a kind of, pretty strong run of uh, figures, uh, you know, having, you know, the trust in, trust in, trust in trustworthy people being misplaced, right. if you see what I mean, you know, right. and, and people being revealed to have, and may, you know, maybe it's the way we judge them, Some, sometimes people's crimes are kind of unforgivable, but, um, you know, that, that's, I think, there's a big problem, you know, trust in MPs and so on, expenses is one thing, but I think the idea is of, uh, of, of these sort of wise people who know best for you, is is a problem though because I don't think sure. because uh, but uh, yes but I do agree that if you were that that, that is the the ideal that uh, the, the absence of 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 those traits of um, you know, compassion and wisdom is is also a problem as well I, yeah. I agree with that I mean, it's interesting looking at the uh, you know just looking to see what you say because you've kind of a structure to just, just rounding off with it structure to these meetings which is which is what is the similarity with the life planning uh and you've got to, you know you can kind of uh get people to think you know i guess visualize what they want how the ideal yeah. society would look like a little bit like what how, what would your own life like to be like you know and then work back from there if you only had certain crises to to, to come against yeah. um but uh yeah no, yeah just got to 
got out here. So you've, you know, you've got, got several stages here in discussion, inner listening, ranking the obstacles. Yes. And it's a very deliberative. Yeah. yeah. I think that, and it'd be interesting, uh, oh, interesting to take part. If someone wanted to take part in one of these, where could they find out? Well, they should um, get on the website, uh, agoldencivilization.com. And I suppose just the last thing is, is you mentioned the, the environment and, and the planet. Mm. Um, like this, we've, we've, what we found is a big take up in uh, sort of ethical investing, what they call ES, ESG. Yes. It's become more popular. It's still only a fraction of total invested assets yes. in this country. But, right. And it does seem to strike a chord, have a simpatico with, with life planning and financial planning yes. uh, process because um, uh, it seems to be something that you'd only get to the bottom of if you were to have a certain type of conversation with yes. a client um, and difficult to implement that by just saying, well, here's, you know, to a much more bog standard process, but is there anything that, you know, ethically that you're interested in? Right? And, and that's kind of, you know, uh, it doesn't quite fit. So, yeah, I just wondered if, uh, I don't know how it's taken off in the US, um, but it, it seems to be gaining a bit of traction. Uh, there are its detractors, of course, who worry that it's right. all a bit of sort of motherhood and apple pie in some respects. Yeah. Uh, or, or you can get the veneer of, you get the veneer of ethical investing without the truth, or you get the truth of it, but without the returns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I just wondered, and do you, do you invest ethically? Is that something you know? Well, it's something that I do, and um, I, I'm going to answer it, and I'd like to segue back to golden civilization around, around this question, if I can, just yeah. for, for a moment. Go for it, yeah. Um, uh, but first of all, you, uh, my, my brother Peter Kinder was one of the originators of the whole ethical investing movement, ah. and he was active over here in the UK, wow. uh, mostly in the US, but uh, yeah. so it's something that's been in the family for some time, and, and it's certainly an aspect of the investing that, that I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to segue back to your, to your comment about how we trust leaders who are not trustworthy. Sure. Yeah. And, and come back to, in, in life planning, what we do where there's an obstacle. And if there's the fire is around, if we have a vision that's really strong, like yeah. a trustworthy advisor, we would do everything we could to make that vision happen. Mm. That's what we do in life planning. Um, if you think about the structures that we have here, again, amazing structures, we have these satellites that are really weapons that are going out, they're called Cassini, the Cassini satellites, and they're sailing yeah. out to Saturn's rings, right? Yeah, you've heard this. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. And they're going out there, and they're impeccable in their, in their trajectory. If, if they miss that trajectory by even a couple of inches for every mile, they would never arrive, right? And there's a word for that that NASA uses. It's called integrity. The integrity of their systems. So here we are, we're in, uh, we have a planet um, that is where we are concerned in, in a variety of ways. We've got a democracy where we're concerned. We have a civilization where we're concerned. And much more complex, much more requiring integrity. Shouldn't our integrity of our systems, the systems that are used by government, the systems that are used by corporations, shouldn't they be at least as impeccable as a mere weapon going out to Saturn's rings. I think it's time to make that happen. Big, big ideas, Ed. <laughs> big questions. Thank you very much. Uh, never say the New Model Advisor podcast doesn't give you 
uh, something to think about uh, and deliver on that front. But uh, no, that's great, and uh, I'm really interesting uh, what what you're doing here. And uh, I'm sure we'll get loads of comments. They're welcome. Uh, and um, yeah, brilliant to uh, see you. See you again. Great. Wonderful. To catch up. Thanks very much. Wonderful to see you. Thank you so much, Will. Cheers. Yeah. Bye bye.